Hey, Piers, it's Michelle. I've got some exciting news. The Piers Project has just produced a podcast for Red by Moddy Body, the iconic period underwear brand for tweens and teens. In this new podcast series, The Red Tales, we share stories celebrating the messy and iconic parts of our teenage years and bodies. Every fortnight, we'll be joined by a young Aussie who isn't afraid to open up, laugh and celebrate the time they got their first period, stood up to their first bully and recovered from their first heartbreak. So make sure to tune in now to our podcast for Moddy Body, The Red Tales, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just head straight to the link in this episode's description. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, Peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, Peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Never underestimate your impact, peers. The world can be a big, scary place, but that shouldn't stop us from trying to make it a better one. Just ask today's guest, Will Fan. Will is the co-founder and CEO of New Campus, a modern education and technology company for people excited by change. And he's also a 2017 Forbes 30 Under 30 listee. I'm super excited to chat with Will today about how we can discover our North Star, how we can leave our unique mark on the world, and how we can tackle important issues through business. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story, and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, here is my conversation with the amazing Will Fan. Will. Welcome Hi. to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Of course. So, you know, you and I connected recently through a mutual friend of ours, um, Lily. And when I looked into you and all of the amazing work you've done in the education and business space, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Awesome, Michelle. Yeah, I'm really excited to share my story. Um, and obviously hear more about the work that you're doing as well. Awesome. Love that. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm an education entrepreneur. Um, I've been doing this for almost half a decade now. Um, 
you know, what I essentially work on now is a project called New Campus. Uh, we're a lifelong learning school. Um, and the goal is to really help people reinvent themselves for the rest of their life. But I think for me, it's more so being a personal journey, um, spending a lot of time across China, Southeast Asia, and the Middle East over the past couple of years. Um, my role as a CEO is to really, you know, work with interesting people, um, connecting interesting corporates, governments, universities that want to reinvent and change the way that people learn. Um, and so for me, you know, my personal passion is always uh, in the startup and technology space. Um, and, you know, through New Campus and some of the other ventures that um, I try to get my hands dirty in, it's, you know, A, helping me be a better person and B, trying to, um, you know, really make impact in a world that needs a lot of change at the moment. Oh, I love that. And I'm so interested in learning about, you know, the ventures and in particularly new, new campus. And I can't wait to dive into that. But before we do, I'd like to start with a com I'd like to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I uh, grew up in Sydney um, in a small suburb called Punchbowl. Um, my parents were immigrants, um, so my dad came from Hong Kong, uh, Macau, and my mum migrated uh, from Vietnam during the Vietnamese War. So I actually grew in, you know, very multicultural, um, sort of emerging part of Sydney. Uh, and I think, you know, coming from, you know, a family of five, so three other siblings, it was always family first. Um, you know, I lived a few blocks away from a few houses away from my grandparents, I'd see them every weekend. And so I do think that for me, it's, you know, having that blend of Chinese and Australian culture, which has really, for me, you know, really shaped the way that how I'm looking at the world now um, and my cultural values and cultural ties. So even though, you know, now I'm based in Singapore, Australia is still home, but I do sort of see myself having that blend of a few different cities, a few different cultures, as I grew up, um, I think that was also, you know, shaping my mindset in terms of where Australia is in this world. Um, as you know, uh, Australia is, you know, one small island in a very big, um, you know, earth, right? But, um, yeah, having spent a lot of time traveling across Southeast Asia, across China, across Middle East, um, it's really opened my eyes to, you know, how other people think, other people do work, especially in the education space now. Um, but yeah, I think growing up, it was a lot of people doing the same things and I had to really get out. Um, that's why I left Sydney in 2014. So fascinating. I love, I love asking that question because I just think that it's so telling as to like what we end up doing now and, and our journey and whatnot. But I'm, I guess I'm interested to know, you know, what was like about, about Will, the early years, you know, talk to us about, you know, you as a child, what did you love to do? Were you super outdoorsy? Were you more computer tech oriented? Like talk to us about Will, the early years. Uh, I, I was actually really interested in art. Um, I did a lot of drawing. I did a lot of painting as a kid, um, building small random cubby houses in the backyard climbing trees. Um, I actually had a very simple life. Um, my older sister was a dancer. My younger brother and I used to play basketball in a makeshift basketball ring in the backyard, which was very slanted. 
Um, so yeah, I actually didn't grow up with that much technology when the you know when we when we had our first computer, we played a lot of games. Um, but I wouldn't say I was a techie person that would dissect um, a PC or build my own computer. Um, and so even you know growing up as a kid, um, it was a very simple life. My father was a cab driver. My mum you know worked multiple jobs, um, often you know sending us to tuition school and credit cards. So um, for us, like we saw that as immigrant as an immigrant uh, family, um, you have to go through a lot of hustle to send your kids to good schools, good universities, good you know, life. Um, and I grew up thinking a lot about that. Um, and a lot of those values actually are instilled with me now in terms of, you know, giving back to the family and having a very family first mindset. Oh, I love that. And I think, you know, what our parents did and how they've sacrificed and all of that, it plays such an important role. You know, when we, when you were younger, even maybe heading into high school and all of that, did you ever feel kind of a the pressure to perform and to make sure that you did your best so that you were, you know, made the parents proud and all of that to come up for you? I do think that a lot of, um, see, Asian immigrant families had that playbook. Um, I grew up, you know, in a city where a lot of Korean, Indian, Chinese, Japanese families would, you know, make a full bet into their son or daughter. Um, I went to one of the top selective schools and, you know, the goal was to get the top marks um, so you can go to the top university and do, you know, either finance, law, medicine. Medicine. Um, so actually, and, and I mean, unfortunately that's still the case now because you suddenly grow up, um, you know, following these um, already preset paths. And I would actually say that wasn't for me. Um, even though I did, you know, follow that path early on, um, you know, into my career, I realized it wasn't the right fit for me. Um, I always tried to do a few things differently. Um, as as good of a son Chinese, you know, kid I could be, but, you know, like I said earlier, Michelle, getting involved with the arts, um, starting my own side hustles, those are the things that really shaped Will Fan for who he is uh, right now. Mm. Amazing. So let's talk about, you know, the university days. So as you mentioned earlier, you went to UNSW, good, you did com law, making the parents proud. You know, during that time there, did you, what were your thoughts, you know? Were you thinking, great, corporate's the way to go and that's kind of for me, or were you exploring and trying to figure out who you are? Like who you are? Yeah, I actually flunked university. Um, instead of studying, I spent a lot of my time trying to figure out how to shortcut the university (laughs) system. Um, there was actually, um, you know, a lot of, you know, my community, my friends that had done the same thing in high school where you either share notes or you look at interesting strategies to, you know, get the test scores before even doing the test. And, you know, for some reason I managed to get through six, you know, five and a half years of doing that. But, I would say during my university years, I did start a few early ventures, you know, selling textbooks, um, starting my own sort of buying and selling uh, fashion. So, you know, having different ways to make a bit of money. um, And that was kind of my driver into understanding what business was like. Um, My mum 
uh, actually came from my entrepreneurial background. So growing up, I saw a lot of transactions, a lot of, I saw a lot of business that she was doing in the back end. But for me, um, I would actually say during university, that was the time where I really started to get my own hands dirty, um, you know, building my own team and, you know, learning a bit more about, um, yeah, what a business actually is. And do you think it that lended to, well, I, th- I think, it, I guess on that, like every experience that we have in the business world or that we just kind of make for ourselves, it, it does lend to, I guess, what we what we end up doing and how we see the world. Did you find that your perception of the world around you and, and maybe what your career would look like was different from the, from your peers and from those, you know, your friends and whatnot? I think it's so hard to break out of that, Michelle, um, mm. especially in the early 2000s. You're going into, again, a very stable career path uh, post-GFC, so everyone wants you know, the tier one jobs. Um, and I was drinking the Kool-Aid as well. Um, so I actually started my career at a consulting firm called Accenture, um, which is where I met my co-founder, Faye, and I can talk about that later. But yeah, for a very long time, even though I had the bug to start my own business, the majority of my community, majority of the country was very geared towards that stable job, uh, that stable life. And uh, for me, even though I went down that path for, you know, a couple of years, I always thought at the back of my head, hey, there must be something different. There must be something um, that I can do that is not out of the norm. But even, you know, Australia itself, it's hard to break out of that bubble at times. No, I couldn't agree more. What advice would you give, you know, to our peers out there listening? Maybe they're in their final year of, of studies or maybe they're their first year out in corporate and they're, they're maybe feeling how you did. Like, is this really for me? Do I fit in? Is this what I want to do? What advice would you give to them? Well, my advice today would be very different to the advice last year mm. um, because, as wow. we all know, the world has changed because due to the pandemic. Um, the first thing I'd say is, you know, as I've been in the education space for more than my days in corporates, uh, I realize there, there are probably three things, three, three large problems to be worth solving in the world right now. First is climate change. The second is alleviating poverty. And the third is future of work. And so, you know, if you actually look at every industry or every career path, it should be gearing towards solving at least one of those problems. Um, the second thing is focus on yourself, um, the best version of yourself, because, you know, if you go down a path that is prescribed, um, you're always going to be living two lives. Um, and that is so challenging. It's so tough. Being an entrepreneur uh, multiple times has and you know, has allowed me to refine that piece, um, to f- refine my own narrative, refine my own story. And I would say, you know, if you're trying to mimic someone else's life or someone else's career, that is not only hard, um, but it does injustice for you as a personal being. Um, and the third thing is, you know, focus on your passion, um, as cliche as it sounds, because you know, just like your work, that you're do- the work that you're doing, Michelle, the Pierce Project, or um, you know, the work that I'm doing in campus, I always say to my team um, and our corporate partners and our government partners, find the problems that you want to be solving for the rest of your life because that becomes your North Star. The money will follow, the career path, the accreditation, the fame will follow if that's even what you need. 
Um, yeah, so those are sort of my three points of advice. Oh, so well said. You know, I think I think the issue that so many of us come up against is this idea of but am I, you know, who am I? To, who am I to go off and, and do the thing I care about or that I'm passionate about? Who am I to step aside and not get that, you know, follow down that traditional path, get that great job and make that good money? You know, what, what would you say to that? I mean, my first point is what is good money anymore? Mm, it's true. Um, is, is good money something that you're happy to have stability Um for the next 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, and we can see now in the economy, you know, having that secure job is not good money anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly you have unemployment rates skyrocketing globally. Um, your traditional corporations that provided that stability are, you know, either going under or going through retrenchment. Um, and, you know, even for graduates this year, extending their graduate jobs. Um, and so, I, I w- again, I, I do think that... Um, you know, following your passion really changes the narrative because it allows you to open yourself up to opportunities that you don't otherwise see. And that's not just for people in the early stages of their career. It's those who have been stuck in their career for the past 10, 15 years. Um, you know, especially now where um, it's giving a lot of people time to reflect and the world is shifting because we're suddenly all online. It allows you to open up new career paths outside of Australia, outside of your industry, outside of your geography. So, um it's the best time to be thinking about trying new things, working on that side project that could potentially be a full-time gig. Um, you know, in times like this, it's so important to be building windmills, not bunkers, um, because you want people to be, you know, exploring and innovating and reinventing themselves. I couldn't agree more. So, I want to dive a bit deeper into your story. So, take us back. You know, your your it's. 2012, you've entered into Accenture, management consulting. It's the dream job for so many. You know, what were those two years like, you know, before you decided to, to head off and start your own business? What what were they like for you? You know, what did you learn about yourself during that time and the world around you? Accenture was a lot of fun. And I met a lot of great people. And even now I'm still working with them. Um, so, I mean, prior to Accenture, I did work for a few um, other firms in banking. Um, I mean, that's a different dynamic. But what was really interesting about my experience at Accenture was that it did expose me to technology, um, to a technology-first business. And so my role was uh, really bridging offshore developers with clients um, looking to deploy software. Um, ironically, you know, I was working on the National Broadband Network account, um, NBN, uh, which is the <laughs> sort of the internet uh, that hasn't even been rolled out yet, I believe, to the entire um, country. But, yeah, I mean, my experience there was great because it allowed me to understand a bit more about, um, you know, what a large consultancy looks like, um, the type of personalities involved, um, and even now, um, as we build new campus, it is, you know, taking some of those values around, you know, working upstream with corporate partners all the way to working with offshore teams. So, um, yeah, the first point was, you know, learning a bit about foraying into a te- the technology space. But then that's also where I met um, my co-founder, Faye. Um, you know, we spent two years working together on this project and 
had a lot of fun, launched our first venture, um, and then moved to Singapore to um, launch our second venture. Amazing. So talk to us about that first venture. I think, I mean, you you mentioned it to me before we started recording today. I think it was called Coachello. Um, it was in 2014. And, and tell us a little bit about that first experience in business. Yeah, so I think um, the first tech company that everyone launches is the most straightforward business. So Coachello, which is Couchello, was a vintage furniture marketplace. Um, And it was really helping people buy and sell furniture. Um, It was essentially a clone of a few, you know, mashed up businesses that I read online somewhere. Uh, But I ended up spending a good six months working on it. Um, We built the app, we hired a few developers in India, and I spent a lot of my weekends just, um, you know, bussing around, driving around Redfern, meeting furniture dealers, trying to speak the speak, um, taking a lot of stock photos and, you know, loading it onto the app. Um, it was so much fun because you're so naive as a first-time entrepreneur. Every every um, conversation you have is so green. And, yeah, it got to a point where, um, you know, we, you know, the business wasn't really working, but we had built a good brand. And that brand um, actually helped us get into an accelerator in Singapore. So, you know, I would say even though the venture itself um, wasn't something that we were truly passionate about solving, I mean, buying and selling Scandinavian <laughs> furniture, that's not the biggest problem to be solving in the world. But I mean. Um, <laughs> funnily enough, like now we're, you know, obviously looking at the spatial, um, you know, we're building co-learning spaces. So, you know, you have to take it, uh, take, you know, learning where you can. But, yeah, that first venture, I, I wouldn't even say we learned how to build a business. The only thing we knew mm. we learned how to do was um, interact with a founding team, um, you know, design branding, work with uh, interesting parties and, um, yeah, start building a bit of a presence around a tech entrepreneur. Mm. Oh, fascinating. I, I love it. So talk to us a little bit about then that transition to Singapore and you guys going, okay, we got into this accelerator and now we're just moving. Did you ever think you'd stay there for as long as you have? And talk to us about that transition. So Faye and I, well, I put, I quit my job first, um, but we essentially quit our jobs and packed our bags in two weeks and moved to a new wow. city overnight. And at that time, um, it was actually more of a personal decision to shift over versus a business decision. It was the first accelerator we applied for. We didn't even know what an accelerator was. And if you think about 2014, the Australian startup ecosystem was so emerging, um, so fresh that you didn't even know, you know, what a VC was, what um, venture building was, what a technology scalable business for the region for the world is, you know, there's a few case studies, but, you know, even those case studies like Airbnb, Netflix, Facebook weren't even well documented. So coming to Singapore um, was a great shift for us because, you know, suddenly you had, again, a small city that was English speaking, but it opened you and opened up your networks to the rest of Southeast Asia. So at that time, Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia were emerging. Um, For us, it was, a, exposing ourselves to a very um, 
you know, immersive pool of entrepreneurs, um, venture capitalists, people in, you know, the innovation space. And so the accelerator was, you know, probably the best learning experience for us to learn what an entrepreneur needs to be thinking, you know, what are the values, how should you be growing a company? And, um, you know, that's why when we, you know, first landed in Singapore, we realized, hey, we actually can't sell furniture in this market. It's too competitive. It's too fast moving. But we need to be thinking of solving a problem that, you know, we at that time are the best people to be solving in the world. And so instead of selling vintage furniture to board housewives, we, you know, went back to the drawing board and realized that, hey, there must be people just like us, just like you and I, Michelle, who want to try new things, but are too risk adverse to take that leap of faith. And so we actually launched the first version of New Campus, which was at that time called QLC, which stood for Quarter Life Crisis. <laughs> oh, the Quarter Life Crisis. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I find it really interesting how, yeah, how we get taught to think a, or you learn to think a certain way as an entrepreneur or as someone who's a bit bit curious and, and wants to do do something a little bit different. And I love that you guys came to that kind of conclusion that, well, what are we, what's the best thing that we, like, what's the thing that we can add the most value to? What do we know the best? And well, we're going through it right now. So I guess on that, you know, what would be your advice to our peers out there listening who maybe they feel like they've got this idea and I feel like everyone thinks it's about the idea in business when really it doesn't have too much to do with it. Um, you know, they think they've got this idea or maybe they've got this concept or this passion and they want to, you know, get started. What would be like your three key pieces of advice um, around getting that going? The first piece would be, you know, really trying to find a problem in the world that you are the best person to be solving. And that could be from cultural backgrounds, um, certain nuances in the way that you brought up, you were brought up, um, a certain archetype of client or customer or user that you can talk to. It's so easy to be copying a business because it sounds sexy. It sounds like it can be impactful when you know, at the end of the day, this is a long-term journey. I am five years into potentially a 20-year, 30-year venture. And so, you know, do you really want to be, you know, building that social network for dogs? Do you really want to be, you know, working on that, you know, business that you could essentially replicate anywhere in the world? That can be done by anyone smarter with a lot more funding, with a lot more networks. Um, because only defensibility in the world now is yourself. There's enough businesses being made. Um, and if you want to compete on that, it's so important to find your why um, and find the North Star behind that why. The second thing is you don't need to spend a lot of money to build a business, um, you know, especially now when there's so much, you know, build your own website, drag and drop, like strikingly. Um, you have Canva, your, you know, to give you all the design finesse you need. Um, you have PayPal to Zapier to Excel, which would set your own business. Um, and, you know, I've said this before, like even for the first version of QLC slash New Campus, it was really done on a spreadsheet um, linked to a website, you know, a drag and drop website and PayPal. We actually made our first $12,000 in 45 days without any technology. And so, you know, the point behind that is you don't need to spend a lot to build a quick business and get it to the market. Um, 
There's a lot of tools that you can check out. And the final thing is, and this is something that I'm also learning myself, Michelle, you don't need to be, you know, building a global venture to be successful as an entrepreneur. It's okay to start small. It's okay to start slow. It's okay to start a side hustle and let that run in itself. Um, for new campus, it's helped me personally develop as an entrepreneur, but as a human being. And for me, I'm also, you know, always trying to, you know, figure out how big do I want to build this business or how much impact do I want to have um, in this education space. Um, and so, you know, before even asking those big questions and having that, um, you know, fear of failure, just start small, start building, you know, those five paying users, start building that landing page and get validation from some friends or some early clients. So, um, yeah, that, that would be my two cents. Um, it shouldn't be hard to try something new now. So great. Something I want to circle back to before we dive a bit deeper into the business and how you've built it is this idea of your why. So you mentioned earlier, you know, make sure you solve a problem that's kind of aligned with you and is aligned with your why. How can we best find our why? It's funny that um, I think for you and I, Michelle, it's a lot easier to ask that question because we're already in the deep for so long. Um, and even if we are still on our way to find that why, we're so immersed with, you know, a few different paths. We have built a network and we've surrounded ourselves with, you know, five really good people that can help us open doors. I think it's a lot harder for people that aren't in that headspace. Um, and, yeah, sometimes it's, you know, especially if you're stuck in a job that you don't love or stuck in a community that doesn't share your values, it might even be harder than it actually is. Um, but yeah, the first step I would recommend is just meeting new people, getting new perspectives, especially now when, um, when you're, uh, you know, stuck at home, um, it's giving you opportunities to jump on calls with people from other parts of the world. We launched a tool called Cuppa Club, which is, you know, meeting one new person over Zoom every week. Um, you know, get involved with, you know, new communities outside of who, you know, don't be afraid to you know, try to be a new person and try to, you know, experiment with, you know, personas outside of your day-to-day. The second thing is I do think um, at the end of the day, modern leaders are infinite learners. Um, if you're not a reader like myself, find out your, you know, your best way to keep learning, whether it's through podcasts or through YouTube or through, you know, attending virtual classes now. Um, and I think the final thing is at the end of the day, um, know that, everything that you do is quite transient. Um, and we've seen this uh, in, you know, the travel industry. We've seen this in, um, you know, what's happening in America and what's happening in, you know, Hong Kong and China. Um, you know, especially in 2020, you've seen so much news that is transitioning on a two-week, one-week basis that um, nothing is set in stone anymore. So feel comfort that your 10-year plan, your five-year plan, your two-year plan is not going to be the same. Oh, I need to hear that one. So I'm hope, I hope you all digested that. No, it's so great. Okay, so talk to us a little bit about then QLC. You know, you guys were like, that's what we're best, that's how we're best positioned to add value right now and what we know best. What were those early steps you took to get it off the ground? You mentioned the 12,000 you know, that you made over the course of those months, you know, what, what 
came from there and, and how did you really kind of grow it in those early days? We actually didn't um, know how to value add our members mm. okay. at all. We didn't have a solution. We didn't have a product. Um, but all we did know was we had a lot of friends who were probably bored in their <laughs> corporate jobs. Um, and so, you know, the first thing that we did was we Skyped them. We Skyped over 400 network uh, people in our network. Wow. Um, our first 50 would be immediate friends and then they'd refer two or three people. And that became our seed for, you know, customer interviews. Um, it became our seed to understand, hey, if you are feeling these three problems, um, you know, with these three solutions and if we could wave a magic wand, what would that, um, you know, ideal solution be? And majority of them would say it'd be great for me to try something new without having to take that leap of faith. And so for us, you know, at that time, it wasn't, you know, really, it wasn't realistic for someone to just quit their job and move to Singapore and launch a new <laughs> business. But, you know, we also started to see trends of the digital nomadic movement in Southeast Asia, remote working being um, quite interesting and startups started to emerge in the region. So we launched a platform that allowed people to connect with these founders, work on projects outside of their day job and learn about a new industry in the evenings. And so, you know, what was really cool about that is, you know, you had someone like Mike, who was a PwC actuary working on a, you know, a food delivery startup um, in Singapore. You had someone like Kevin, who was a um, SEO specialist working on a big data project in Singapore. So it allowed, us to solve some of that problem, but really start to understand, hey, what was the world starting to move towards, especially in this part of the world? Mm. Fascinating. You mentioned earlier about the three key things, the three major problems in the world, and the last one being the future of work, or three key things. Did that, was that kind of swimming around your head in the early days or were you still just not even aware of how big of an issue or, you know, what, what you were actually ultimately going to solve? We were so young and we're still so young, <laughs> Michelle. So you yeah. don't think that big. You think of, hey, why don't we get up a Facebook page and get 500 likes? Um, and that was, our so key, that was our KPI for, you know, a few months Um but I do think that, you know, as we evolved as education entrepreneurs, uh, we started getting a lot of opportunities at different levels and different cities and different regions. So, you know, now when you talk about the future work, it makes sense. But at that time, it wasn't. It was really how can we help our friends and how do we build a business um, that sounds a bit more exciting than our furniture business? Um, and how do you get something off the ground without learning how to build a company for the first time? And what, you know, during that time there, I mean, it takes so much longer, you know, two years feels like 10 and, you know, it, it's crazy. And you guys were in a new city. You were super young, as you said, like talk to us a little bit about just yourself personally navigating that time. You know, you didn't really know what you were doing. Did you ever feel like, oh goodness, I shouldn't have left Oz. Like I should just go back to my, to Accenture and go back to that stable life. Did that ever come across your mind? No. Uh, wow. And I, I do think that for me, that was probably the best time of my, you know, I would say it's one of the best times of my startup journey because you're so, your risk tolerance is so high <laughs> in a different way. 
So one example, Michelle, was that we had no visas to be in Singapore. So we had to do visa runs every 45 days, crossing the border to Malaysia, you know, <laughs> taking $90 scoot tickets to Vietnam. Um, and after you do this a few times, um, we did this over the course of two years, you, you know, the immigration would, you know, start questioning. They'd put you in a, you know, a cold room for a few hours at 3 a.m. And you just go back into it. You go back to your hostel and you keep building. Um, and so, you know, there, there are times like that where, you know, for you, you know, your focus is just to build a company and everything else doesn't matter. But as we, you know, grow up, um, you have a bit more life responsibilities. Um, you have a team to look after. You can't be that, um, that, you know, irresponsible and chaotic, um, but you can in other ways of the business. Um, the second part was, you know, such a steep learning curve because, you know, as I said, the Australian startup ecosystem was so new um, and the networks were so enclosed, but this was the first time where you could just search on LinkedIn, meet with someone over a coffee and pick their brain for a couple of hours, you know, a week later. And those are, you know, that was so challenging for us back in Australia, A, because, um, you know, physically traveling is a bit further, um, is a bit hard. And then secondly, um, the ecosystem was still so scattered. So the learning curve, the exposure, and just um, having a dynamic, um, a, a different thought process to, you know, being an entrepreneur versus being in Australia, that really shaped sort of the next following years of how we were building business and how I wanted to be as a startup founder. So talk to us about, about then the growth and those com- those those maybe last two years that you've had. You know, you've had a huge rebrand. You guys now have an amazing team. Talk to us about when that ticked over for you guys and then how you've kind of maintained the growth and, and yeah, built it into what, what it is today. I think in the education space, it is very geared towards having a strong reputation. And that was why um, it was hard for us to break into this space early on because we were just a young bunch of Aussies (laughs) in flip-flops trying to, you know, pitch that we're changing the world. Running across the borders, you know, (laughs) in Asia. (laughs) Exactly. The future of education is right there. Um, And so... You know, take a step back, you know, we spent a year and a half, two years in Singapore, but we also, you know, use that as a way to network and, you know, really identify what are the other opportunities um, in the Asia region that we wanted to explore. And so for us, um, you know, coming out of the Singapore Accelerator allowed us to understand how to build a business, but it was actually the second accelerator that we joined two years later in China that allowed us how to scale a business. And so, you know, over the past two years, I've actually lived in three countries um, with half my team. So we travel around together. We, you know, work in different cities together. Um, But I would actually say China was my second exposure to how really scalable companies work. Some people moved to San Francisco. Some people moved to Berlin. For us, it was Shanghai. Um, And so we got to, you know, see a lot of exposure with cross-border businesses trying to break into China and Chinese businesses going global. Um, We spent, you know, almost a year and a half there, um, again, doing visa runs, but also (laughs) exposing ourselves to a second community. Um, And, you know, this community was, um, you know, became one of our biggest investors in our company. Wow. Amazing. Oh, my goodness. Shanghai is such a, it's such a cool city. 
back in the day I did um, a university subject over there um, as part of my diploma in Mandarin and I just loved it. And I think it's it's one of those cities where there's so much buzz, there's so much energy, but it's also very daunting, I feel. And I can't imagine having had to kind of start a or, you know, grow, grow a business over there. Talk to us about what Shanghai was like, you know, the, the business scene, you know, how the accelerator you did. Talk to us about, yeah, that. So you're right about, um, you know, the, the cultural immersion was mm. probably the biggest stretch yeah. for not myself, um, but the rest of my team. And even though I can speak Chinese, growing up in Australia, um, you know, you're really... Australia, you're, you're really westernized in your upbringing. Um, you speak broken Mandarin or Cantonese to your grandparents. And so being immersed in a you know, fully cultural city for the first time forced you to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so things like navigating, um, looking, navigating the, um, you know, the, the trains, the bus, the, um, <laughs> the you know, ordering food. Um, <laughs> you know, we traveled across Hangzhou, Beijing, Shanghai mm-hmm. to, you know, meet other entrepreneurs. And you would suddenly see a new wave of expats, Americans, um, you know, based in Beijing for 10 years, um, Europeans doing creative stuff in Shanghai. And, you know, for us, it was, um, again, getting away from the Singapore community, which we had already built, but immersing ourselves into an entire different flavor of the world. Um, and so, you know, for me personally, Shanghai was the best place to live. Um, you know, I just loved riding, you know, a bike just across, you know, the walkway, you know, getting some street food, um, you know, but going to a cafe, jumping on a Zoom call or WeChat call and yeah, just getting along with our day. So for us, um, it was two things that we got out of this experience. The first is the cultural immersion, because at that time, a lot of our business opportunities was coming into China. So building that network and building that, um, you know, f- credibility allowed us to open, you know, a new archetype of business customer. Um, and then secondly, uh, you know, accessing a new type of venture capital, because our business is and will be, you know, still a cross-border company. So it was important for us to build presence in multiple um, cities to be able to maintain that cross-connectivity. I love that. Talk to us, you know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe struggle, maybe they're in a, they're studying a foreign language or they're trying something new, they're, they're living overseas or they've moved somewhere or maybe they are starting a business in Shanghai. What advice would you give to them around the, the getting comfortable with the uncomfortable? I don't think there's um, much advice I can give that uh, give there because everyone has their own risk tolerance. Mm. Um, you know, when we moved over to Shanghai, I was probably about 60, 70K in debt. And, mm. you know, when I started my journey, I had, you know, 10, 15K in savings. Um and on top of that, you know, I was paying for myself at, you know, next to no salary. This time we had a team of 15 people. We were taking on much larger venture capital. We were, you know, working on larger contracts. Um, but I do think that it is, you know, everyone has their own journey. Everyone has their own um, pace that they need to follow. Um, and even, you know, that looking back, um, you know, it's crazy to think that, you know, when I left Accenture, doing what I'm doing now, it's such a different dynamic mm. of a person. 
And that's, you know, that's why I, you know, go back to my point earlier about, you know, need to identify your people and surround yourself with, you know, the five people that want to shape you for who you are and the values that you bring. Um, and even if they're not the right people, at the very least, give it a try and test out the waters, dip your toes, because at the very least, you know, that's not right for you. Um, and so for those who are thinking about building their own business or looking to culturally immerse themselves in some, in, into a new place, um, there's no better time to do it. But now um, there's no risk except for not doing it. So well said. So look, I want to start to kind of wrap up and, and talk a little bit about the the transition, like what new campus is today. So, you know, how can we get involved? What is it? And what do you do in your day-to-day now? So New Campus is a lifelong learning school for people excited by change. And, you know, the goal is to really help people reinvent themselves for the rest of their life. And for me as a founder and CEO, I look at a few different things. First is how do you change people at the individual level? How do you inspire working professionals, entrepreneurs, freelancers, stay-at-home mothers to look at new skills, new appetites of changing their mindset, new networks to build. The second is the institution. So how can you identify, um, you know, organizations or governments that are looking to upskill the entire nation or upskill the entire firm? And so we work very closely with uh, companies that are, you know, looking to share the same values, but also rebuild industries um, and innovate industries, especially in times where uh, disruption is happening everywhere, not just from coronavirus, but through AI, through you know, cro- you know, globalization, through cross-cultural capability. And then the final thing is um, again looking at just how the world is moving, um, looking at the macro effects of you know what's happening in the US now to what's happening with COVID nineteen to you know what was happening earlier this year with um, you know all the negative stuff that was happening. Um, and so, getting involved with New Campus, you can you know, do it a few ways. Um, if you're an individual, you can uh, check out our membership. We run online classes, online conferences every day. So you can be part of our community, expose yourself to that new network that I was talking about. Um, if you're an organization or a government partner, I'm happy to have a chat. Uh, we could talk about hopefully trying to change the world um, together, <laughs> uh, making the world a bit of a better place through education. Um, but finally, if you just want to you know, learn about what we do, um, you can find a lot more on our website. Um, or even reach out, happy to have a chat over a virtual coffee or virtual beer. It's so cool what you guys do. And I just, I'm so grateful that we've had the time to connect today and, and really dive deep into your, into your story and into, you know, I guess what fuels you. And, and I feel just, I just feel like we've learned a lot from you today, Will. So we really appreciate you. So I've got a couple final questions for you. The first one is what were some of the what do you think was one of your greatest failures in your entrepreneurial journey to date? I think we fail all the time. Um, but one of the the hardest parts for us was I'm running out of money uh, in Dubai. So <laughs> Faye and I um, were you know we we moved over to the Middle East because it was a very interesting project with the government and the crown prince. And that's where we launched the first co-learning space um, in Emirates Towers. But uh, not many people know that we were actually out of money and we had 10 mouths to feed and a business model that did not work. 
And so, you know, when we decided to pivot the business to new campus from KLC, we were actually, you know, ex- you know expected to go into nine months of unpay um, and then, you know, back pay that to the rest of the team. And so that was a really dark time because, um, you know, A, we had to figure out whether or not we wanted to keep doing this. Um, secondly, we had to decide either paying for HubSpot credits or paying for dinner. Um, <laughs> and then finally motivating your team who, you know, some had to move on, but you know, some stayed on. And those are, those are your people that you go to war with over and over again. Um, but yeah, I would actually say that was probably one of my biggest failures because it was letting down the family, um, uh, the team and, um, you know, really making sure that this never happens to them again. So look, oh, well, it's been a crazy five years for you. I mean, amongst the chaos and amongst the, the failures have also been many, many great wins. You know, you've been listed on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. You've done a whole heap of speaking also. I saw places like Duke University, Harvard speaking on, you know, how to enter the Chinese market, et cetera. Super amazing. You know, what would your three key pieces of advice be to our peers out there listening who are looking to get started? I think your personal branding is going to get you very far. Um, and we, when we talk about your why, it's not just finding a business problem to solve. Um, it's actually what is your why that encompasses your entire life. And so right now my why is to solve education. And so when you have that North Star, it actually makes everything fall into place. So if, you know, solving education or solving healthcare or solving or alleviating poverty is your thing, um, that kind of naturally opened up a lot of doors. Um, you know, is it building a new network? So how can you find mentors or mentees um, that can, you know, share different perspective in different part of the world? Um, you can either go onto LinkedIn or ask a friend who knows a friend and jump on that call, be shameless. The second is start now. Um, there's so many people stuck at home uh, with so much time in their hands. So there's no reason and no excuse not to work on that side hobby, that side hustle. Saying you don't have the time is just another excuse um, to binge watch Netflix or <laughs> you know just have a pizza party um, with friends virtual pizza party. And then the third thing is um, you can always, you know, have incremental baby steps to build that next venture. You don't always need to blow 10, 15, 50 K like we did to launch something um, that may or may not work. You could always start by, you know, doing a podcast or, you know, (laughs) launching a landing page or, you know, finding a few early clients that can sustain and get some validation before, you know, foraying into something a lot bigger um, so I think it's, you know, when, you know, I first started this in 2014, um, the world has changed so much and it's a lot easier to get started now. So there's no reason not to get started. I love it. And the final question, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think for me, it's, I've always been interested in people. Uh, if you actually look at everything that I've done today, it has been surrounding myself with people that are interesting, working with people that are interesting, but solving interesting people, 
problems. And so if you kind of look at that, you know, education is just one of many ventures or industries that I'm personally interested in solving. But um, at the end of the day, for me, it's having that curiosity of you know, understanding someone's psyche, understanding an organization's psyche, understanding a nation's psyche. Um, and yeah, as long as I, you know, keep having that thirst and that curiosity to learn and do and evolve, then um, I think I'm going to continuously build more ventures like this. Um, but yeah, maybe we can check in again on that in about 10 years time, Michelle. Um, I'll see if I have the same answer with, you know, family and whatnot. <laughs> I love that. I will, I will hold you to that, Will. <laughs> no, I absolutely love it. Oh, Will, we've had a blast. I so appreciate you. I appreciate your time. And we will wrap up right there. We'll link up everything to do with new new campers in the show notes. Um, where can people reach out to you personally if they'd, if they'd like to reach out? You can get me best on LinkedIn. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, or if you want, you can check out my website, um, newcampus.co. And uh, someone from my team can get in touch if you want to partner, collaborate, get involved with our program, or even just have a chat about what we do. Love it. Awesome. So great. Thank you so much. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Piers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>